Welcome back to Keepers of the Word. You're here with Mike and James. We put together another great show for you today about alchemical blacksmithing with our friend Marcus McCoy of Troll Cunning Forge. But before we get into that, we would like to thank you, the followers and the listeners. Uh, thank you for your continued support. James. The views and topics of Keepers of the Word are solely our opinions and do not reflect the opinions of any Masonic Lodge or Grand Lodge. All right. Well, we have our guest, Marcus McCoy of Troy, Troll Cunning Forge, who is a blacksmith by trade and uh, does some very interesting pieces. Thank you for joining us, Marcus. It's a pleasure Thank to you. have you. Thank you. Yeah. So how did you get started with blacksmithing? Um, <clears throat> my partner, Kat, uh, she got me a class, uh, with, uh, Cody Dickerson, who lived here shortly, uh, in our area, and he had built up a forge and wanted to start teaching classes, and I took a, a nail-making class from him, and the, I just got hooked, uh, from that point on, it was exactly what i'd been looking for and didn't know it how did you start to intertwine both the blacksmithing and the alchemy well <clears throat> i it's an interesting story interesting question so i went and around the same time i was taking a class from him uh i was also doing Secunda with my uh, alchemy teacher, uh, Robert Bartlett. And <clears throat> it was like in between uh, two of the classes that we had taken. Um, I was bouncing back and forth. Uh, and uh, <clears throat> I had this realization with Robert's help that one of the missing links... Um, well, to to give an example of what I'm going to be t talking about here is, uh, he was doing a demonstration on the crystallization of plant salts, and doing so in the lab with uh, a particular uh, planetary uh, influence. So, like the the day and hour and things like that, and whatever astrological election he was working with was Jupiter, and it was a Jupiterian plant. And so he was demonstrating uh, through a high concentrated solution of, of uh, plant crystals uh, how to crystallize them at that astrological time so that the uh, astrological influences were then locked into the crystal structure of the, of the, the plant crystals. And so it all just kind of hit me. I was just like... This is this is this thing that I'd been intrigued in with herbal quenches, and also with uh, any time you know, like reading about astrological talismanic magic, uh, Paracelsus talking about uh, the the gladialis, um, uh, and uh, I can't remember the other word that he had for it, um, but these particular knives and swords that were done talismanically during uh, planetary elections, um, he writes really briefly about it. Um, and 
then of course the the grimoires like i mean you look at all these grimoires and they all have instructions uh and a lot of them are different um and these different black books and that have different uh quenches and they have different times uh that they're supposed to be quenched and so that had always really intrigued me us like well we're getting these the virtues of these plants you know like in in animalia uh and the astrological influences uh locked into making this sword or dagger or magical tool um and these are the things that are making it magical the virtues of these things are being transferred over to the the steel or metal whatever they're using and when robert showed me this crystallization process and uh locking in the astrological times it hit me i was like well this is what they're doing with with you know in the psalmonic books you know like they're 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 making this during this time this astrological time you know, or the Grimoire Virum, or, you know, all these different black books, they all have these instructions for making these magical tools, and you're supposed to quench it at this time, or it's to be made at this time. Well, to me, it's the quenching, because that's when, and, and a, I'm skipping ahead. So the, what I realized, and I asked him, I was like, is this what's, you know, is this what you're doing? Like, when you, when you're taking a metal, you're getting it into a receptive state, something that's fixed, and then the virtues of these different uh, plants and astrological times become uh, fixed uh, once it cools and crystallizes. And he's like, that's exactly what they're doing. That's exactly what's happening alchemically. And it just, damn, it just hit me. And it was the only time, and there's nothing really written about that at all. Um, you just have these examples. And from an alchemical and a hermetic standpoint, you have to know and practice lab alchemy in order to understand why they're doing it. The, the, the thought process and the philosophy behind it is, is not going to make any sense unless you're doing the laboratory work. There's a lot of people that just have the most bizarre ideas about alchemy uh, from a philosophical standpoint, who have never, obviously, never done any laboratory this. work, and likewise, you have all these occultists that are making their magical implements for ritual that may understand the philosophy behind these things, but they don't understand uh, the the laboratory alchemy base or the applied alchemy would probably be a better way of looking at it because i do this work in a forge not in a lab um but when it when it all happened it all clicked and the thought process which was and the of practicing lab alchemy became the obvious framework for what they were doing in making these magical uh objects and i hadn't heard anyone ever talk about this or read about it or anything and I sure as hell didn't find anyone that understood these things and so I just started you know digging deeper and looking at it and going like okay well from an alchemical standpoint 
I don't have to just go by what the grimoires are saying. I can I have free range of creative power, you know, and also working with different folk magic traditions, just like Paracelsus did, you know, like uh, his trident. Uh, that's something that came up recently in some of my studies. The the trident. Uh, I can't remember the exact name he calls it, but I think you guys are probably familiar with, you know, uh, there's been a lot of fetishization of uh, the Paracelsian trident mm. in OTO circles and other ritual magic circles and a lot of people have written about making it and so I started looking into that recently because I was like oh that could be a fun project to get into and wow <laughs> there's a lot of misconceptions about what he was doing when he was making that but what he is doing when he was making that trident is exactly exactly the way I'm doing my work right now. Like, the same line of thought, the same uh, approach. And that was really exciting to see. I was like, oh, man, you know, like, I, this, I'm this, i not full of shit. <laughs> you, know, like, you know, like, this is exactly what he's doing. He, he took a, a throne horseshoe, and he has an astro- astrological election. So the throne horseshoe is the basis for his trident. And then he has uh, the things that he's quenching it in and, and the times and stuff like that, uh, astrological elections and such. And the the magical thinking that goes into creating that trade and become pretty obvious the more you've studied uh, and the more you, you learn about um, folk magic traditions. Uh, what I learned was is that most people didn't understand his the way that it was translated or written in the original, uh, I think Skinner reproduced um, one of his books that has the, the exact details on how to make it. And it's all in old, you know, like old English. So it's it's really hard to, for most people to, to understand when they're reading it, you know. So, you know, I, I'm reading it and I'm like, oh, this is a thrown horseshoe. That's the the base but in modern interpretations of it there's no horseshoe involved at all thrown horseshoes are magical throughout european folklore period and so you see like paracelsus who you know would be fetishized as being someone that was above lowly folk magic traditions um but here he is utilizing a, a a very standard uh folk magic tradition of utilizing and in blacksmithing, you know, utilizing a thrown shoe uh, to make something. Would you say, so, Marcus, that with folk magic, like folk magic and what you're talking about is kind of like homegrown, right? Like that's like the basis, the foundation, wouldn't it be for a lot of this stuff? Like they were using a lot of common practices. I think that the what we call folk magic is just typically speaking, just a well-known cultural practices and beliefs these were just like like a good example today is uh this is something that jeremy Bichelli talked about at uh virtus genai symposium that we host and that's uh transference magic and so like uh, a very common one today is uh if you're sick put an onion on your feet or on the soles of your foot right and that'll pull the 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 the, the sickness out of you the toxins out Right. And you'll talk to people today and they'll have all kinds 
of really interesting explanations of the on why antibacterial properties of the onion and all this stuff you know like you'll hear all these things even to the point where people will be like oh don't eat onions that have been left out they absorb toxins from the air right so if you're going to get sick it's the onions fault <laughs> yeah. you're sick right and so uh there's there's all kinds of examples of this, but what people don't acknowledge or don't think is that what they're talking about is magic, and there is no scientific, you know, like uh, principles behind this. And this is a a really old belief that the onion, you know, like could transfer sickness from a person to the onion, right? And it's transference magic. So like <clears throat> bulk magic, it's just like. Same thing, you know, like in all these different cultures, they all have these beliefs and all these ideas as to how things work and why, why things are the way they are. And those those aren't even considered magic most of the time. It's just like putting an onion on your foot. Right. It's magic know-how. <laughs> yeah. But, I mean, it, they wouldn't even consider it magic. That's what's so interesting. Just right. like the people today don't consider putting an onion on your foot magic. I think, I think it was. It better be called like cultural common sense. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, it's folk magic. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's still, you know, they got they got some stuff that's really out there and like weird. Almost like we're on the fringe of folk magic, where it's it's like wives' tale, and then mm. almost hand in hand, you know, from as weird as it might be or outrageous wives' tale. There's a lot of stuff that's like. Legit. Well, I mean, in Germany, we had all kinds of crazy stuff like the uh, um, that they would. It was just common sense to them within their beliefs is that you know, like uh, any executed ginger, uh, the blood after he's been executed would cure your epilepsy, wow. or the the noose that was used to kill him would mm-hmm. cure your epilepsy, or a piece of his clothing. Um, especially if you got some of the blood on it and it was kept in your your uh, back pocket, that would cure you your, and treat your epilepsy. I mean, this was common, super super common belief. And I've read report after report after report after report of of these beliefs like that uh, in my research, and it's just it's kind of interesting. <laughs> It is all this stuff is interesting. I think that's why yeah. we're all we're all here, still still doing stuff. I have a question, man. So I I met you at Green Man uh, at Griffith's yeah. place. You know, you're doing a, a class there for uh, blacksmithing, which I could not take uh, on the weekend because I had to work. But I was taking my traditional witchcraft class. Um, I am. And we had met and we had talked about uh, two volcano fire and stuff. I'm like, wow, this guy knows about two volcano fire. And then we had a conversation and. Yeah, the flame, yes. The green flame. Yeah. And um so I started following you and then following your stuff and you got really cool stuff and you know, all that great stuff. But then I'm like, wait a minute, man. One day I saw a picture of this thing on my Instagram. Good old Marcus, you know, out in his shed, you know, his little shed <laughs> uh blacksmithing created this thing. I'm like, that looks so familiar. Like I've seen that before. And why does it bother me? And then you had multiple pictures on it. And when I flipped it, I'm like, you got to be kidding me, dude. Like, this is where I've seen it from. And it was the uh, witch tuning fork oh. that, that you made. And I'm like, yeah. 
dude, this guy, this guy. I'm like, wait a minute, that's from a manuscript, isn't it? Like a, wasn't it like a tapestry? It might have been. Um, it was a. I I haven't. Uh, see, one of her old students. It was French. That. Yeah, she found that, and it was a French manuscript. Yes, mm-hmm. and we were never able to. Like, she took a picture. She she drew the picture of it, and uh, she was never able to find it again. I haven't been able to find it again. Uh, or find out more about the instrument or how mm-hmm. it was used ritually or anything like that. Um, so I remade one. Yes, you did. <laughs> yeah, and that was a lot of that was a lot of fun, and it's a lot of work. Uh, <laughs> so j- just to give uh, the viewers like a description of like what it, it, you guys remember, like Halo that that blade that comes out of Halo's hand. Yeah, it kind of yeah. looks like that, but imagine two of them, but they're attached at the base. And the pointy yeah. ends going opposite like a, ends. Like a two, two-headed, like... Uh, Horns, right. Yeah, or like, you know, like a, a double stang, if you will. Correct. You know? like, uh, uh, it was beautiful. So like, yeah. I saw that thing, yeah. and then like you, you, you twanged it in a little video, and I was like, oh my mm-hmm. god, dude, I'm going to be spending money on this thing. Like, it just looked, it, cap- it, captivated, it captured me. Did like, you get was, one of them? I did not because I know oh, okay. it was a lot of work for you and you had sold it yeah. and you said it was so ordered and then you took it off. And I was like, I think I even wrote to you. I go, okay, for my birthday, I'm going to get this mm-hmm. thing for my birthday at some point. I don't know what I'm going to do with I, it, but I, I, I want I it. I still make them, you know, like upon special request, I'd probably yes. still do one. I'd probably make one for you. Um, I have the materials for it. It's uh, um, It was just awesome to see yeah, that pulled from the manuscript. Because I remembered yeah. that thing when I saw it. I think I saw it in like the History Channel or something years and years ago. Because I remember I'm like, hey, it looks like the Halo thing. And when I saw I think it again. It was in like, I think it was in maybe like a book, a, a dictionary of witchcraft and demonology. It, it was something because like I had that. seen it before. Um, yeah. And I want to say it was a tapestry. It again. Yeah. So frustrating. Yeah. It's a. It's a really intriguing piece because the the picture is really interesting. But you see these, and you don't see that instrument used commonly at all. So it almost feels like it was something that was maybe created by a a French coven just for their own personal praxis. You know, like um, which is also very intriguing. You know, like gives you all sorts of like folk horror. You know, like ideas in your head. Um, (laughs) Yeah, I thought that was pretty cool. I'm like, wow. So I've I've also seen got me. Uh-huh. A project that got me the project uh, for that TV show, uh, the uh, Archive eighty one. Yeah. Yes, yeah. I thought that was cool. I remember when you started talking about it, you were you were doing that because you were so busy. You were trying to explain to your yeah. customers. I'm sorry. <laughs> um, I thought that was cool, man. But like you know, you you make things that I think because I follow different blacksmiths as well because that's something I'm into. Mm-hmm. Along with the witchcraft for thirty plus years and stuff like that, but mm-hmm. y- yours, I keep following and keep seeing more and more of on my Instagram. I'm like, dude, this guy did it again, man. I think it was freaking badass. Like yeah, your stuff, not only phenomenal. Not only does know. it look phenomenal, the reason why I like your stuff is that when you are making it, it's made for function. As yeah. a practitioner, it, it has so many applications for some of these things. And, and of course, some things, as, as you know, we can only use for maybe one or two things or something more specific. But um, mm-hmm. it, it's it's not only is it beautiful, but it's extremely functional. I, I remember reading a, not a review, but a statement or a, a post from somebody who had purchased something from you. And, and they were 
elaborate. I mean, just uh, super happy that you took items that they wanted to be imbued with, and they had sent to you uh, ingredients, I think, or something like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I, I've done that for people. That's um, super cool. With the custom orders, when people wanted, you know, like a particular herbal quench and stuff uh, done, um, it's it's interesting. Uh, having you know, like figured all that stuff out, it was interesting to like introduce that to the world, and then watch a lot of people start to imitate it without any understanding of what they were doing. Um, I keep seeing it. It's become popular mm-hmm. uh, for for other blacksmiths and and people to do, and they. It's it's kind of a bummer that they don't understand philosophy behind what they're doing but they're doing right. it anyway right it almost cheapens it or lessens it or makes it feel right. gimmicky it's or something but i wanted culture, people man. to realize yeah, that it wasn't it's like, gimmicky it's like ig know? ig witches you know yeah, yeah right you know yeah. it's like hey you, you are gorgeous but I, I don't think all the stuff that you, you you piled up on this altar which you would never use on one go <laughs> either way and you know just the setup is wrong but it looks beautiful but it's not what's real yeah it's not tangible right yeah that sort of thing do you do you follow any specific mythos or um for instance say the famous dwarf Ivaldi or hephaestus mm-hmm. are, are those any any of those two very interesting smithian <laughs> people <laughs> yeah or mythology or characters. Yeah, yeah, sure, of course. I mean, I think, I think that all of them are real in their own sense, and um, I think that when they reach out to you, uh, it's good to listen, you know, like and to maybe determine whether or not you want to establish a relationship or not um, with some of these beings. Um, and then some that you try to, you know, like you, you go out of your way to do that and there's no response. There's nothing yet. You know, like, yeah. And so, like, um, <clears throat> there are some practices that I've learned uh, from one of my teachers, Johannes Karsbeck, uh, in Trolldom on uh, uh, having dwarves make your your magical tools and uh, the whole process of doing it and how it's done and um, I've wanted to do that Uh, I just haven't found the time to get out to that mine yet it's a bit of a trek Uh, you know like you gotta go to the mine gotta go to the place where the dwarves are or wherever you know know, I'm gonna say that you're you're a trekky kind of guy man I see you. Uh, you're a trekky kind of guy. I, I saw you on yeah. a, a trek that you went on. A, you went on that trail, that hike, right? Uh, which the Appalachian? one? Uh, the Tubalcane. Oh yeah, the, the Tubalcane trail. trail. I mean, all that stuff yeah. is phenomenal. Yeah, that was a beautiful hike. Um, oh man, that was exhausting. We went up to the the bomber crash site. Right. Um, above In the of nothing. The first first mine, and yeah, I mean, it was. It was pretty amazing. I mean, I was having all kinds of, like, really interesting thoughts, you know. Like, I mean, the fact that it's called the Tubalcane Mine is just fascinating. And I believe that it had to be uh, the person that, that 
that owned that. They had to be Masons. They had right. to be. I mean, who else would know about Tubal Cain? You know, mm-hmm. like um, at that time, like in the the, the late eighteen hundreds. You know, um, it had to be. So, I thought that was it. it made it special. Um, that place, and uh, yeah, I wanted to to fully explore it, and I still have yet to get to the the full mine. Uh, I got to the first mine, but not the the other one. But the, yeah, I just the hike up to the the bomber just killed me. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it looks rugged too. It looked like not like I mean, yeah. it was a trail, but it's not like an easy easy hike. No, it wasn't. I had knee <laughs> surgery Ugh. about. I used to be a, a therapist in a involuntary psychiatric unit, and and uh, I had uh, AC, uh, yeah ACL replacement surgery oh, from being attacked by a patient wow. years ago. So my knees aren't so good. Yeah. <laughs> what would you say? And is, that was that was rough. What would you say is your favorite thing to make when somebody says, "Hey, can you can I commission you to do this? What would this be?" Um, really depends. Like the the, I get requests from time to time to do um, blood steel daggers for uh, grimoire work, um, which I kind of like doing. That it's it's, it's kind of a neat project. That's um, cool. And uh, there are I love doing sickles. I gotta say, like I really enjoy. I do, the process I do like this. Yeah, yeah I, I like doing that a lot uh, right now. Um, I love doing bronze forged, forged bronze work. I, I think it's just a joy. It's time consuming, um, but it, it, it's easier in some respects, and so because it moves so, it's more malleable, so, right? Yeah, it, when you get it to that right heat, but it just doesn't. It hardens a lot quicker and cools quicker than the steel, and so like you're constantly heating and and taking it out and heating it again and taking it out. And you have to pay attention. You can't leave it in the forge. You can't let it get to a melting point. Um, and so you're just like you're, it requires so much focus. And I just I, for some reason I just really enjoy working with it. Whenever I'm having kind of like a a slump or a bad day or not feeling very well or something like that, I'll go out and forge bronze. And uh, the act of doing it doesn't tire me out as bad, and and it's just really enjoyable because of that. Because I can just do such beautiful stuff with it, and then it it just it, it's a giver. I mean, you just once you're done with it and you polish it up, it doesn't require much work uh, to get a high polish with it. And so <clears throat> you're looking at it and you're just like, oh my god, this is beautiful. <laughs> Like it's just so nice, and it doesn't require as much labor as you know, like high carbon steel and things like that. So it's it's really rewarding, uh, like because you can just you don't have to put as much into it, but what you get out of it is just so incredible. I just I love working. With What's Ron. the thing you hate working on? Oh. Gotta be something where like, he's he's pausing again. He's pausing. He has to decide which one he wants to choose. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's a lot of things that I For hate sure. making. Actually, yeah, and uh, the cost usually reflects how much I hate making it. And if you talk to other people that 
do what I do, they'll tell you the same thing. Yeah. Uh, even woodworkers, I know, will tell you that. But it's like um, you have to motivate yourself to do, to make something you hate. You know, and yeah, right, a right. good motivator. So you know, uh, but I, I, it sucks because I really loved making those uh, pentagram herb hangers that I did. People loved them. I mean, the attention those things still get on Instagram just blew my mind. And uh, it's just a pain in the ass. <laughs> yeah. Like the whole process from start to finish is just exhausting. I think I sold four of them in one day, which meant that I would just be making them for a while. So it's it's really a hate repetition uh, doing this reproduction work, doing the same thing over and over again. I think that's that's the thing that really gets me. Um, some people love it. Like my apprentice, she loves the reproduction work. She's able to just get in the zone, and that's where she likes to be. I, my zone is more like surfing, One you off. know, like where it's like I I need the the chaotic inspiration constantly happening and something new or different, you know, like that I'm you know like a sense of exploration and uh, honing of the craft and pushing yourself to to excel beyond like where you, you know, you where previously you were. Um, so like, that's, that's where I like to be. And, um, that single pointed mindedness, you know, like I don't get from reproduction work. So, um, I'm really grateful to have, uh, um, my apprentice working with me, Cassie, because she likes that. She likes the reproduction, uh, stuff. So I would say that I love making anything once, um. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like those uh, the dwarves, they only like making one thing, uh, and that's it. Take it, yeah. buy. Like it's it's magical, and man. Just take they made it. it good. Here's Gugnir. Here's Mjolnir. Get get out. Right. Of here. Get out. Yeah. yeah. Like yeah. I don't. I want to see it again. <laughs> yeah. Get it out of here. Yeah, who do you totally. think? Who would you say was the most influential person to lead you down this path? Robert Bartlett. <laughs> Definitely, um, without a shadow of a doubt, um, he's my alchemy teacher. Um, brilliant man, uh, knows a lot, a lot, a lot. And uh, some people, you know, I've heard some people criticize him as having less of the philosophy and more of the lab, you know, like focus. And that's not true. Once you take a class with him, I mean, he's just. It's so intertwined uh, that what I think they get confused by is that um, there's, like, people get mystified by things, you know? People get mystified by mysticism. How yeah. funny is that? So, like, the, the, <laughs> the mystical aspect of it, like, uh, really, uh, even with people that are exploring laboratory work in alchemy, um and I think this goes for all esoteric arts, you know, like they, they get mystified by things and they they build up all these crazy beliefs about what they're doing that aren't necessarily true to someone that's a long time seasoned practitioner, you know, but that has a lot of like um, a lot of experience under their belt. And uh, so, yeah, Robert Robert just makes the mysticism of it makes sense 
and it becomes more pragmatic and practical and understandable and the philosophy makes sense um, because it's so integrated in what you can see and observe uh, through the alchemical process. And so like going and working with him is always just a, a wonderful treat. And we've been, um, my partner has been very actively engaged in helping uh, them with the, the Bartlett's with their Spagyrica school. So it's, it's like all alchemy all the time around here lately because of that. But like, uh, um, that really influenced me a great deal. Uh, my relationship with him and learning from him. That's great. Um, it really you know, solidified. It's good to have mentors. Yeah, it really is. It really is. It's it really, really good is. to have mentors and people that tell you, Hey, you know, this is the path you're going outside of the, outside of those lines, get back in. It, yeah. it really does help. If you could forge anywhere in the world, anywhere where would you where would you choose oh well uh the first thing that comes to my mind is actually um this little village in the pyrenees mountains that i visited uh and they have a they have a international um blacksmith meet up there and they make the steel they they'll make a steel bloom there as well and uh, I don't believe that there's an active blacksmith working in that town. I think he's retired now. Um, but the town itself is just full of all this awesome metalwork uh, uh, that is usually made during those festivals. And the reason why I would like to do it there is that it's highly probable that that town and that region might actually literally be birthplace of steel That's awesome. and visiting there and going there and, and uh, seeing that they have these traditional uh, steel production uh, things still in play for the festival and stuff was just really amazing um, and there's there's things in that region I mean the Romans went there for steel they didn't really have steel not really uh, before that, I mean, they had traded back and forth and stuff, but it was like it was coming from that area, and the Romans wouldn't have been going there if it wasn't, you know, like somewhere else. You know what I mean? Right. Because um, it's a trek; it's a hellish trek uh, to get up into the, those Pyrenees Mountains. Um, that was some fucking commitment, uh, <laughs> for sure. You know, of the Roman for for legions to to go up there. Um, so. Yeah, there's something special about that place, and uh, we went there and visited uh, a few springs ago, um, pre-COVID, uh, to visit our friends, uh, Julia and Hector, uh, um, and they're also brilliant witches uh, and practitioners as well, and, and Julia has a lot of has a lot of historical knowledge and so does so does he and they were able to tell us and just give us this amazing tour of the region but the the steel work there is pretty cool too there's lots and lots of uh hand forged steel work like all over that region uh, of the pyrenees and it's really something special about it so yeah i think that would be pretty rad okay um Excuse me. Before you started blacksmithing, you probably had questions, right? 
what was the one inex- the unexpected thing that hit you when you started doing it? Um, well, the first thing that was really weird was that I kind of knew things. It was like a memory, you know, like, and I wasn't expecting that. I mean, a lot of people don't find themselves put in the position of blacksmithing, you know, unless they seek it out. And I wasn't really even seeking it out. That was the thing that was also so interesting is that my partner just surprised me with a, a class. And I was like, okay, well, yeah, that sounds great. Cool. And I wasn't really seeking it out. And um, but everything was so familiar about it. It seeked And, you know, I... <clears throat> I think the thing that really got me too was that I'm kind of a, an adrenaline-based clarity person. I don't know if that makes sense. Um, there's some people like when they're fight or flight or triggered, they'll run away or they'll fight, right? And so, in order to fight, it takes a lot of clarity, <clears throat> be present, and so like things that stimulate my my adrenals, like. Uh, get me really focused into like a single pointed, you know, like, like mental state, very Zen. And, uh, <clears throat> I found that with surfing, I found that with whitewater rafting, I found that in dealing with extraordinarily dangerous human beings that were psychotic and violent, um, I knew what to do. I was clear and centered and that gave me a, a, a way to open up to inner and outer resources within myself and in the the cosmos that I wouldn't normally have throughout my day-to-day. And so getting into that state while blacksmithing because of the danger of it, um, it, like opened something up in me that I was familiar with, um, but that I hadn't accessed through the experience of making something. And so, like, making something and then being able to, like, sort of channel this these larger forces through myself, through that clarity, um, was a real big surprise. And it was really exciting. And I felt immediately comfortable in that environment and in doing it and passionate about it and wanting to to learn as much as possible and to push myself. I mean, it's like, it's all I do anymore. Um, I mean, COVID's kind of limited a lot of my act, you know, my other activities, but it's like, God damn, (laughs) I'm very fulfilled doing this work. You are are busy. Yeah. What is the most important personal trait or strength someone would need in your industry to be successful at what you do? I don't think there's necessarily one thing. Um, I think that uh, a lot of guys have one thing. Um, And I've watched a lot of guys uh, rise and fall uh, in blacksmithing. And uh, it's a shame because some of them are really brilliant and produce a lot of really great stuff, but they're maybe bad businessmen or they make, uh, I don't know, some poor personal decisions or, 
gamble on something that they shouldn't have, you know, that take too big a risk uh, in their business or um, they don't know how to find the market for what they're doing. Um, And uh, so, I mean, I think there are a lot of factors uh, involved with that. Um, Me, personally, I mean, I was fortunate to, like, be able to find this and then I also know a lot about alchemy and herbalism and witchcraft and folk magic and things like that. And so I was able to focus on that community, you know, like, so I already had kind of a pre-established market um, that I had access to already. And so that was kind of a plus for me. Um, But I know other guys, you know, like they have to focus on uh, maybe foodies and things like that, you know, like the, the, uh, culinary industry, you know, like there's there's a ton of really brilliant knife makers that are making chef knives. But they don't know any other type of blacksmithing, and I wouldn't even call them a blacksmith or a, a knife smith. But their their entire focus is just making chef knives, and that's all they know how to do, and that's all they do. Um, so it's like there's someone who's focused on that, and a lot of them, some of them were chefs to begin with and they got in because they really loved knife work they really got into the knives and they wanted to learn how to make them and so you know so for those guys that want to focus on that that is a completely different thing you know than someone making you know uh what people call wrought iron gates and and things like that or architectural steel um, there's so many facets, so, so many different sub-disciplines within metalwork, uh, blacksmithing work, uh, that I, it'd be hard for me to say just one thing. Um, but I think passion <laughs> is probably it. Passion. You passion have to have a passion for it. Passion to continue. Yeah, that, that's really what it... And you got to be open to the muse, you know. I mean, there's a guy down the... You know, a couple miles away from my house. I've never met him. I've reached out to him. Um... He sells on Etsy. He's a blacksmith, but I mean, all he does is make brackets and, uh, um, you know, like shelf hangers and things like that. Real simple stuff, you know. Reproduction, same thing. No real details or anything to it. Real simple stuff, but he, they're nice. But I mean, uh, he's got to have a passion for that. Yeah, if that's, that's what he's thing, doing for a living, right? you know. Um, what tools would you say are indispensable? Is something that you need to spend a lot of money on because you need it to last you a long time because it's going to do most of the work? Well, your anvil is a big one. You know, I mean, uh, it's a, it become more and more expensive as uh, blacksmithing becomes more fetishized in our, uh, <laughs> yeah. It's a, you know, our, core our, there. Yeah. It's interesting how how that's happened to, uh, you know, some people just say it's all forged in fire, but I think honestly it's the, the magic of making things um, in general. People that know how to make things anymore because everything's, you know, we don't make much domestically here except for script, tech, you know. Right. Like, it's all from Walmart. So like, yeah, so I mean, like, and everyone just buys mass-produced things, so it's like people that know how to do stuff or make stuff with their hands is quickly getting more and more fetishized. Um, but yeah, I, I would say, like, you know, an oxyacetylene torch is great. Uh, a good welder's great. Um, 
the anvil is really important. And I think having a good anvil is, is, is great. Mine's mine's an antique made in like the I think late eighteen hundreds in Oakland, California. Oh. Which I thought was really interesting. And it's a I have only met one guy that has one. <laughs> wow. It's the exact same one and he's got the exact same gripe about it as I do. It's it's got a soft face. <laughs> um but uh kept saying you know i kept holding off on buying a new one uh until um i moved into a a bigger shop but now i have a bigger shop but i also just got tons of expenses so i haven't been able to 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 get one but on the west coast anvils are even more expensive than the east coast yes because there's fewer uh old ones lurking around here uh they're doing blacksmithing way less what's the price she uh, shoot a number out just for our viewers to kind of just a starter, your average price, you know. Well, if you want to get like an old antique one, you're going to pay for it, you know. Yeah. It's like I mean, I don't even remember what the, the 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 price per pound that we're dealing with, but different brands are going to have a different price as well. Like you know, um, mm-hmm. but there are some new there are new anvils that are being made still to this day. <clears throat> and there's a there's a company um, about an hour and a half north of me uh, up in Port Townsend, Washington that that makes some pretty decent ones. Uh, problem is, is that anvils are t- you know or I would say you know like old antique ones you can you can get to answer your question you know like uh, fifteen hundred to like twenty five hundred. Wow, uh, 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 for a, a good sized one that mm. is is pretty decent. Um, that isn't just beat the shit like with good edges still and hasn't been refaced. Yeah, and re-bolt. Anything. Not that there's anything wrong with that, but a lot of times uh, some of the repair jobs that people do can be botched or it's not going to last or, or, or something. So finding something that is old and was made well and you know, like, is in good condition uh, is is a bit rare. Um, people abuse the living hell out of them. Um, yeah. And so, like, new ones, there's, you know, uh, Holland uh, Anvils, they're a new company. Um, their stuff is, I buy a lot of my, almost all of my uh, uh, swage blocks are made by them. And they make really good swage blocks. Uh, I've only had one problem with one, um, but it was probably my fault. Uh, but the, I'm just not even sure how it happened, but some chips chipping happened on one of the edges of a, of a piece. But like, for the most part, I mean, they're a great company, and they make some pretty good stuff. I haven't used their anvils yet. Um, I'd like to maybe go to... I think these guys oftentimes set up shop at a have booths at like a, a knife uh, conference or festival or whatever. And I'd like to try the rebound and, and actually feel the work of some of these anvils. Um, I've, there's a particular type of anvil that I like um, that just has a uh, symmetrical cone that comes out the end the horn of the anvil um there's reasons why i want that because it's even harder to get these giant mandrels which are like these giant steels of cone or like stone 
<laughs> these giant ste- steel cones, basically. Yeah. Um, and uh, that's, it allows you to do rings at different sizes and round things at different sizes. And, and uh, <clears throat> they were last produced on the West Coast up in Canada, I think in BC. But they're still kind of hard, they're hard to get and they're really expensive. And having a, a good-sized anvil with a large horn that's perfectly symmetrical cone that comes out of it is rad. Um, the other thing is that a lot of the anvils that you get around are uh, farriers. Because farrier anvils were made just for farriers. And so the, the, the shape of the anvil sort of reflects... Uh, because the anvil is a tool, and a lot of people don't realize that. Um, they just think of it as a flat surface for you to hit things on. But the whole thing is used as a tool. Like every little piece of it has a purpose um, and can be utilized as a tool. And watching someone that's very experienced uh, utilizing that knows how to use their anvil as a tool is is really impressive, actually. Um, and I really really appreciate those guys that have learned some of those uh, skills. Um, but yeah, like a lot of the fairy anvils and what they call like knife maker anvils and what they're selling to knife makers is a knife maker's anvil these days. Mm-hmm. I, I don't I don't like uh, or have much use for and they're they you know, they don't always have the best rebound and they're loud as hell. <laughs> <laughs> well everything's loud pretty much. No, I mean my anvil's not very loud. No. Um no. I mean and I'm sure this is really debatable, but like I think a good one uh, isn't going to be necessarily super loud. Um, there's things you can do to deaden them and quiet them and stuff, and a lot of people have to focus that on that when the, with the modern anvils that they're getting is that they're just fucking loud. They're like really loud, like really hurt your ears. Loud, yeah. Like, you gotta you know, wear, well, wear like ear yeah, protection, ear protection, and then you have to do all this work to like deaden your anvil so it's not to be super loud for your neighbors or whatever i mean a lot of people that are hobbyists they're not necessarily <clears throat> in an area where the, the right. noise you know like My neighbors would kill me really a, <laughs> yeah totally um but you know i've seen guys with some pretty serious stuff that they've made themselves um there's a guy uh who has a youtube channel who lives in i think taiwan and he's got a cabin near me, actually, which I was kind of shocked to find out. Um, but he's got this really unique, like, kind of Japanese-style anvil. And uh, he just keeps so pristine. I just love it. I would love to have one uh, just like his, actually. It's super nice. Um, but it's, like, this is kind of rectangular and just really interesting. But he does his work on the balcony of his apartment in Taiwan. <laughs> He's got his whole shop. Out. That's wow. dedication. That's dedication. <laughs> that's yeah, pissing no, off the rad. neighbors, man. He imagined the floor, just <laughs> the, oh, the balcony vibrating. Next door to this guy. But he sets it up right. I mean, in, in Asia, a lot of blacksmiths are, are sitting, mm. you know, like while they work. And so everything's at a different, it's a totally different sort of deal. Um, right. than what you see, you know, like in, you know, modern American blacksmithing and European. What stuff. about uh, injuries? 
Always wear your goggles. Always wear <laughs> goggles. You know what? I, I have a personal experience with that, and I was doing uh, electronic work. And mm-hmm. uh, this is back in the early 90s, like maybe maybe 90, mm-hmm. late early 90s, electronic class. We're poor kids at a poor school with no goggles. <laughs> My, uh, was it the, yeah, the soldering Solder exploded. Mm. Luckily, yeah. I closed my eyes, but I soldered my eye shut, so that was fun. Ooh, so we had a, good. yeah, we had to take pliers and peel the soldering off my skin from my uh, my eyelid to my cheekbone. Mm, that was interesting. Yeah, my teacher was like, "If you didn't blink, you would be blind right now." I was like, "Great, this is awesome, man! Thank you." <laughs> yeah, when I first started, I went to the ER three times uh, in one month. Wow. Um, What's your worst um, injury? For, for my injuries. Wow. Um, that was that was fun. Um, I So angle grinders are the devil. <laughs> you know, a lot of people think that the devil is this supernatural being, but no, it's, it's an angle grinder. <laughs> and uh, angle grinders are evil sons of bitches. Yeah. And I you constantly see like, metal workers posting injuries, you know, like on – you know, different social media sites and they, they, you know, like it's an angle grinder that did it. And I always ask him just to be a smart ass and a dick about it because I, I, I'm kind of, I like to focus on safety and, uh, I'm like, uh, so, uh, let me guess you took the, uh, the guard off of your, your angle grinder. Like, Oh yeah. I mean, those things are pointless (laughs) every time. I mean, it's pointless. Right, right, right. (laughs) Ocean doesn't know what they're talking about, right? (laughs) No. I mean, the manufacturer just throw those in. Did Evaldi wear eyeglasses? No. Right. Cheers. I'm an artist. (laughs) I mean, I I see guys, man, I see guys using like these big, giant industrial like angle grinders that are just like huge. Like, I mean, so much torque, so much power in those things. And you're holding them, you know, like. It's just ridiculous. No guards on them, you know, with big, huge cutting wheels, you know, and they're just like, oh, yeah, this is fine, you know, like, and I'm like, okay, until it isn't, and that day that it isn't, oh. Yeah, it's not fine you're real not quick. Gonna, yeah, you're, you're going to be fucked. And, like, your hands are really important. You know, I know a guy that just, like, he was, I mean, you can't really do blacksmithing without him very yeah. easily. Um, but, like, I, I know a guy knew a guy um who yeah i mean he he makes kitchen knives and and he had a one of his knives on a machining block and he was doing machining on it and it wasn't attached down well enough and and just quicker than shit just like cut all the tendons in his his arm and uh i don't know if he's doing any work now um but it's definitely going to be limiting to him. That's a long recovery road. Like I, I grew up during like you know workshops and wood and metal, whatever, and and we would have guys come in who like from uh, was it uh, student council and they want stuff built, you know, like in high school. And my teacher mm-hmm. would be like, "Just tell us what you want. I'll have my A students here make it for you in three days, painted and everything done." And this guy mm-hmm. wanted to build it himself. He says, well, if you're coming to the shop, you have to sign the rules and the release, you know, because it's dangerous. Yeah. And, uh, you know, he, this guy was very arrogant and was always just being rude to us. And we'd tell him, hey, man, you know, you can't do that or do it like this. It's a lot easier and cleaner cuts. And 
he wanted to do it on his own and he was like working on a table saw and uh, I saw him from across the thing and go, hey man, you know, you have your table saw all the way up. There's no reason for it to be all the way up and you're, it's like four and a half inches above the, the wood that you're cutting. And yeah. I'm like, and I want to show you something, man. Remember on the first day, this is called the push stick. I'm like, right. look at the end of the push stick. I don't, I don't need a push stick. I got right. I have a th- That's what he told us. And we're like, hey, and I, we told the teacher, like, hey, man, he doesn't want to use a push stick. He goes, hold on, I need something. And we're like, but we're trying to tell you he doesn't need the push stick. And he got out the guy's release papers, you know, that he signed. He folded it and he yeah. put it in his shirt pocket. He goes, he signed it. And man, I'll tell you what, man, the next day he was working on that table saw and with no push stick and it kicked and his entire hand yeah. went through it. So yeah. from like down the middle, how you do the Spock sign, live long and prosper, it just, yeah. it literally became a Y. And the guy wow. took off, took off running and, uh, total yeah. recall, total recall. Hey, that's exactly what it looked like. That's exactly what it looked like. <laughs> and he, he put it back together and just took off running and screaming, you know, but. I'll never forget that. I'm like, I love push sticks. I mean, <laughs> man, angle grinder injuries are so brutal. It's so brutal. Like I've been hit. But yeah, I got a, I got a, it bucked. I was using the angle grinder with the wire wheel cup, which everyone just hates wire wheels. Yeah. I mean, they're just they're evil. I've pulled wire wheel wires just sticks uh, on you an inch long out of my 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 torso, Ugh. you know, out of my stomach, you know, like just couldn't believe it. Uh, out here, and like. <laughs> I like was using it and it bucked mm-hmm. and it just hit just wrong mm-hmm. and that's gonna happen and uh it like hyper extended my thumb and my thumb back which then made me lose control of it even more and <clears throat> it went wildly you know like because it's turning so fast and it and when you don't have control of it it's just it wants to move all over the place and it went right into my stomach. Wow. Ouch. Twisted my shirt up, tore my shirt up, and then just gave me this crazy radial pattern. Yeah. Rash <laughs> like, burn slash cut wound. bruise. Yeah, like yeah, <laughs> everything yeah, just bleeding. Get the whole cake. Oh. Yeah, it was fun. And I yeah, I don't I still use wire wheel. Uh, yeah. attachment on my angle grinder. I used it the other day and sent a bull flying across the forge at probably like I don't know, <laughs> 25 miles per hour. You know? It's <laughs> a metal bull, huh? It's Captain America's shield going across your, your I shop. Had to, it was a steel bull. It was this bull actually. It was this one. And I had to like... A little dip knob? Uh, yeah. Yeah, I had to I had to hammer it. Uh, the, the It bent the corner and I had to uh, hammer it back into place. <laughs> I want to talk really quick since you brought the bowl. You had showed a Dipnon bowl or just a bowl in general, but very similar with multi colors in it. And you were saying like how like stoked you were at working with this material. Um, that material that you worked with just looked like the gods hammered that thing out. I mean, it just it, just the material, you know, yeah. not yeah. even the craftsmanship, the, just the material. Finishing work is really an art form uh, in its own right, you know, like whether it's the, um, and you're just working with the, the surface, you know, like, uh, and so it's of the metal and whether it's, you know, copper, bronze, steel, uh, brass, 
they all are different in the way and each alloy just kind of reacts differently as yeah. well too like in 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 and what kind of finishes that you can do to them and heat treatments and then there's brass brushing and then i recently learned uh from uh knife master uh david leach like uh took a class from him and uh yeah he's he's another big inspiration to me that guy's just awesome people and uh he taught me how to to braze gold onto steel mm. and uh i didn't have the way that he did it so i had to make two with what i had uh, and i was able to to figure it out and wow the the tempering colors i mean of gold on steel it was really cool <laughs> wild i mean you get these purples and mm -hmm just different hues of things that you i mean i mean who who gets to really play besides a goldsmith like who gets to really play around with that stuff and see what the tempering colors of gold is it's super fun it was so much fun and silver too it's just really i learned how to do it with silver afterwards and uh figured that out and uh wow that was super amazing too like just all the different temper colors that you get from the torch on 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 that it's great and then there's the chemical patinas and and all these things and I, of course, really enjoy doing all of that. Like, I mean, it's super fun. Uh, that's like the art uh, aspect of it, where you get to get really creative with it. Um, and there's entire huge textbooks on just doing chemical patinas. I mean, it's it's a, it's amazing. Yeah. Are, are there any other occupations or um, modalities that you would like to try? <clears throat> within the art or different from the art different from the art different from the art um i'd like to explore woodworking more to be honest Ooh. uh i i recently got a lathe for yule and uh, uh really just super enjoyed that like really got into it um it's working with a lathe is so meditative and just rewarding um the, the act of stock removal in general i i, I kind of love uh shaping things <clears throat> through removal uh of material and it's yeah it's a lot of fun i really want to get into making bowls i might just make a bunch of bowls it's like yeah. you're freeing the the item in your head from well, you, you, the block. You're exploring, you're discovering yeah. stuff with it. And What's you're in like, there? Yeah, yeah, you know, like there's grains and things that mm. you could never anticipate are on the inside of that wood, you know, and discovering nature's patterns and working with them to bring out something beautiful mm -hmm. that is tangible that also is maybe even practical um that can be worked with and that could be worked with uh magically even you know like that's really fun and exciting and, and inspiring uh process wise and so yeah uh some woodworking stuff i'd like to learn more of that um i mean it, it goes hand in hand with tool making too you know, i'm making handles constantly you know i, I did today and uh that's that amazing a, a u u handle and there's just really 
beautiful grain and knots and things like that it in, looks like in the wood. Looks like in a way. I just, I just, I, I love it. I love discovering those patterns and shapes and things like that within the wood. It's, it's so much fun, and there's so much art to preparing it, and so much skill and knowledge that goes into um, just preparing wood, which I've gotten into since I got the lathe too. Uh, I got a little bit of a wood addiction going on. Um, where I like to I smell to... the wood, like in all the. Yeah. You know, I always think about woodworking, and it's like okay, all the pain and suffering of putting your finger in the wrong spot or something. You know, especially when you're working without yeah. any. Uh, metal instruments to hold it together when you're piecing together mm-hmm. like the puzzles and stuff but uh, mm-hmm. it's the smell the smell and and uh all the, the lacquer or shellacking or whatever you're using the stain or, or anything like that or different yeah. woods when you cut them they burn different they smell different mahogany versus yeah. whatever you know like that always I mean, reminds have, me I, of that rosewoods man yeah wow i mean like you get like a redwood to cut and you're just like it's a whole nother yeah. experience you've never cut something like that yeah, I mean, I'm I'm get really sensitive to some of these wood hardwoods and stuff, and so like my lungs real, really get fucked up from it. So I yeah. have to wear like masks a lot of times. But still, even with the mask, I mean, like some of those essential oils and things like get yeah, through, and they out. just smell so great. You know, like oh, it's fantastic. Yeah, I mean, the U is super toxic dust to to work mm. with. So I have to, but it smells wonderful, and, <laughs> and I, I love it. But like, yeah, I mean, it's it's a it's a cardiac you know it affects your heart and you don't want to ingest that stuff so what i'm hearing is you're getting new tools and you want to work with wood so maybe you're going to start making some rings well i might actually i'm getting (laughs) all right i'm gonna be getting a i'm gonna be getting a metal lathe um in the near future so rings will be definitely happening as soon as i get the metal lathe um awesome I think that's like the only thing you're really missing is like rings. I'm a ring guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I yeah. mean, I tried um, when I first started doing different techniques to like make rings without the tools. There's ways to do it, but it just became a real pain in my ass. <laughs> yeah, and so, so I, you know, I hear it is. Spices, right. I was friends yeah, with a couple and, that was making wooden rings, and <laughs> they look amazing, but to make them is tedious. Yeah, I could do a wooden ring probably fairly easy. Like, I did a... My friend Adam Phipps, who's a jeweler and kind of, like, all-around craftsman on so many levels. He just does... It's a, it always kind of blows my mind what that guy knows how to do. But he, he showed me... I didn't even know he knew how to use a wood lathe, and he just, like, comes over. He's like, oh, hey, you want to learn, learn how to make a ring? You know, it's like a, a ring on a... You have, like, a, you know piece of wood here's a beer stinger that I made so you'll have a piece of wood and then you'll have a a ring that just floats it's like a floating ring and it's a part of it Mm. so he showed me how to do that and so rings aren't aren't that hard to do uh, out of wood um, but like, I really want to to learn how to do that with uh, metal, and I'm in love with decorative finials. And oh yeah, I want to I want to make really fancy, <laughs> fancy, fancy sickles. 
I really want to make yes. super fancy tickles. So I'm looking forward to it. You just sold one that was pretty bit. interesting. It had a bunch of crystals coming out of like the base of it. The yeah, handle. I've got another one too that hasn't sold yet. I've got it right here, actually. The thing looks like a morning star at the bottom of a sickle. <laughs> there you go. Wow. There you go. Look yeah, at that yeah, thing, man. That, 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 is, that is very special. <laughs> that's a very special piece. Yeah, the, the steel on it. That was a really fun project. And for those for you those are, the, that are the, listening, the bands of nickel going through it, twisted yeah. Damascus. It's yeah. a beautiful crescent. It's a beautiful. Crescent. If you guys want to check this stuff out, that what we're talking about, uh, please check out Troll Cunning Forge on Instagram, yeah. Etsy, wherever you can find him. I personally follow him on Instagram, and I let my eyes soak in all the beautiful work that he does that he posts. And it's pretty damn cool. Check him out. Any of our for any of our listeners trying or, or wanting to get into the craft, or is there any books or areas that they should study first? <clears throat> Just practical blacksmithing. Um, you're not going to learn too much from books. Uh, that is super helpful. There's some books that are, are, are good. Uh, they're kind of expensive. Um, uh, but the and it's kind of interesting because the the guy that does it takes really detailed pictures. I can't tell you his name at the moment; it escapes my mind. But he, uh, it's interesting because he'll he'll show stuff in, uh, formed with a hammer and everything with clay. And that's a good way to practice, actually. If you want to learn, um, but you don't have a shop, but you want to learn the basics of it with, of shaping steel. Um, you can use like a small Harbor Freight anvil that is like 50 bucks or something like that, you know, like really cheap anvil. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> Super common. And then get yourself just a, a one of their three pound or two and a half pound, I think. I think it's maybe three and a half pound engineer hammers. And uh, you can just practice uh, with clay, you know, like sculpty clay and just like practice your shapes and, and your forming uh, of the steel. Uh, but I think when, and you can just do that in your apartment, it's not going to be very loud. Um, but I think uh, a good, good source, uh, Black Bear Forge on uh, YouTube is great. That guy's great. He makes great videos. And I think that, and a lot of people that I know um, that do uh, metal work professionally, uh, they learn most of the stuff that they know how to do um, through YouTube videos. I mean, we, we, I mean, that's mostly where I've learned what I do from. I mean, the rest of it you have to refine and figure out on your own. You're, you're pretty much teaching yourself, mm-hmm. but. <clears throat> Having someone give you an example and show you what to do on a uh, instructional video is very helpful, and it's the only thing better than that is being there with someone and and having them guide you through the process as you're doing it. Like that's it's it's really a it's invaluable to to have a, a one-on-one teacher. I I believe, but. I know a lot of people that are doing the majority of their learning through uh, watching instructional videos or yeah, just trial and error, you know. Uh, but having a shop, I think that's the most important thing. 
And I think that's the thing that most people are lacking uh, is a, a, a shop in order to work in. Um, most people today, I mean, with housing the way it is, I mean, most new housing isn't going to make a shop for you. You might have a garage that you can turn into a shop. Uh, but people that live in apartment buildings and, and things like that, it's becoming harder and harder. Hmm. And then you, to get a commercial shop where you can do it, and zoning's an issue, you know, like where you're going to, if you have a business and stuff. So even just doing it as a hobby, um, you're going to run into problems as to where you can even practice I mean, my uh, student, my apprentice right now, I mean, she lives in an apartment uh, in the city. And so it's it's hard for her to have a shop. I didn't really have a shop my entire adult life or even a garage at any of the houses that I rented. Uh, there was no place for me to work. Uh, so I didn't really, I didn't really realize that this was as fulfilling uh, and could be such a huge part of my life. And that's kind of weird if you think about it. Like what a lot of people, um, it's something that they don't know that this having a shop, you know, being able to create things with your hands uh, can be so fulfilling. You know, and I think in, it's weird, like in esoteric circles, uh, you'll get typecast as a, if you're a, a blacksmith because you're, you're a laborer, right? <laughs> and yeah, yeah. A little bit of classism thrown in there and uh body type too. You know, like if you're a big guy, you can't be smart, <laughs> <laughs> you know? I mean, I, I've had that thrown at me, you know, a lot of people like, you know, one dude called, he just, he said, Oh, I just thought you were a meathead. Wow. Blacksmith. Yeah. Uh, and then he was like, but you actually have smart things to say about the occult. It really caught me off guard. I'm like, okay. Thank <laughs> wait, you wait, very much. Yeah, when we had our, <laughs> our, our conversation at the Green Man, like, I was cut off because you said two-ball cane fire, not because I yeah. thought you were anything. I was like, I never right. get to hear anybody say that. And I was like, wait, what did you just say? You just said two-ball cane fire? I'm like, who the hell yeah. is this guy? And then Griffin's yeah. like, the two people that I want to talk to each other just met each other. I'm going to go walk oh, away. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so I think that, you know, like the, um, it's uh, so interesting. I think there there's so many people that uh, aren't being exposed to um, the craft, you know, and we're not talking about witchcraft, but any sort of crafting, right. working with their hands. There's a certain mind-body synergy, you know, like that that happens through the integration of these things, uh, you know, like and through creativity to to make things and work with your hands, and and a lot of people are missing out on that. Unfortunately, in some urban areas, there's like maker spaces and stuff. I know San Francisco has the Cauldron, and then there's. Uh, Equinox Studios up in Seattle and stuff, but you see, you, see, you find that more in larger urban areas and the old industrial zones, warehouse areas, you know, where there's still um, trades are still, you know, thriving to a degree, some of them um, for the wealthy. But like, yeah, I mean, there's there's some places for people to go still uh, so that they can practice this stuff um, to learn. Mm-hmm. So, uh, where can people 
see your stuff is there a website do you have a website or do you have an, an area where they can contact you and see hey this is my place this is where my yeah at. um my instagram troll cunning forge um that's i where i display all my stuff i have a uh, facebook business page as well for troll cunning forge and then <clears throat> i've got um an etsy page uh i don't have a another website at the moment um i've considered it uh to just have a gallery you know online gallery of some of my past works and stuff like that because you don't really get that off of etsy but instagram sort of has worked as that but instagram is not a very safe um platform to host your business off of i've discovered no there's a lot of thievery going on a lot of people are going to imitate you Mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. and uh, again, th- this is where the branding comes in. You know, when when you've already established yourself and you already have a, a brand, you already have a method method. Method. All right, I busted an omen. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, um, so that's worth money, man. Like, there's a specific, you know, there's things that I look for in 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 crafts. Right. I, I want I want quality. I want somebody who's no who knows what the hell they're doing. And you, you said it yourself. There's other people out there who do the work, but you know they're not doing it right, or they haven't really studied certain things, so they're not very educated in their, in certain areas. So mm-hmm. I think that's where you stand. Stand. That's the differentiator. Uh, you you stand apart because you've done the work. You've you've done your homework. You've actually gone down these different paths and. You've trailed blaze your own way where yeah the prices went up motherfuckers that's just yeah. what it is you know what i mean <laughs> yeah yeah i mean i know some people that'll go and have somebody else uh do it for them um because they don't want to pay my prices or something like that you know uh, it's definitely different which, though you get what you pay for right exactly. right exactly right. something like that's that. very true um, there's so, things that the customer may think that they understand about blacksmithing or about this work and doing it magically that you know um i mean a good example is like uh i've got oil of diamond that was made uh by robert bartlett and it's literally oil of of diamonds you know the volatile of diamonds which is the sulfur in alchemical terms and that is a uh that's the soul of the of the diamond and That's awesome. your if you take a, a diamond and you put it in oil and you quench your you know like uh your algal dagger right uh you're gonna make an algal dagger well you, the volatiles from from uh hellbore black hellbore well they'll just go right into the oil that's fine right uh the diamond, if you were to throw a diamond into that oil, would it work? Not really, because the, the volatiles are locked and fixed within a, a very hard substance. Uh, the, the, di- you know, the diamond's not going to infuse into the oil. And so it takes alchemical knowledge in order to like release the, the, the volatile souls from, from that so that they can Im- be imbued into the dagger mm-hmm. and there's so there's a there's a science to what i'm doing an alchemical art 
uh, would probably be better than saying science, but there's a philosophy, yeah. a working philosophy. Right. Uh, and that, so just like, it's not a gimmick where I'm just like, well, you just dip it, you can get a hot and you dip it in the, in, in, in the, <laughs> you know, the quench, you know, like that's not, that's not it. There's, there's, there's more to it. There's a way of, of thinking, there's a philosophy behind it and you have to know what to do, you know, like how to do that. Um, it's pretty hard to to make oil of of, of diamond. It takes it a lot of knowledge. Yeah, it's not a joke. Yeah, yeah. It's a little it's a little heavy there to go about doing yeah. that. Yeah, totally. So you know, yeah, what you should pay for. You know, <laughs> right, right. There's a big difference. You know, like, I mean, I'm constantly blown away by what customers think that i do i i know? get blown away by the requests like some of the requests like some things like you can't you can't do like i get i get it you know it's like come on man that's kind of cool like it sounds cool <laughs> like i'm down to do it on a weekend i don't have nothing to do but in reality uh-huh. you can't and then some of these other ones are are pretty cool you know like people have asked to imbue certain you know sp- something specific or something like that you know it's just cool to see the ideas that are coming up that you can facilitate you hear my favorite what, what, what's been your one? favorite? Okay, so this this wasn't me. It didn't happen to me, but it happened to a friend of mine. All right, Shoot. and I'm not going to say <laughs> I'm not going to say his name. Um, I don't want to embarrass him. But he'll know, but don't say his name. <laughs> yeah, he'll know if he's listening. You know, but uh, he was asked to uh, by a customer. He's also he he also does esoteric blacksmithing and and he does it uh, by seeing Galder, you know, like while he works. So Galder, okay, yeah, yeah, it's it's cool what he does, you know, like I appreciate it, and um, uh, from a magical standpoint especially, and he was asked to seed the steel. Customer oh. said, "Wow, yeah," and I was like, "What?" Does that mean? Mm, oh, okay. Oh, my head there, is huh? going some funny places. Like, what, what? What? He's like, has anyone ever asked you to do this? Have you ever heard of this happening? You should be like all the time, man. All the time, just do just it. Even a thing. And I'm like, what? What is? What do they mean by that? Seed the steel. And he's like, they literally mean like, like, yeah. put your semen on the hot steel. And I'm like, <laughs> no, that's. That's not a good idea, period. Yeah. <laughs> From a magical standpoint, that's just... Well, you're in it now. <laughs> no, I just put my... Yeah. yeah. You know, like, I, I... You know, ooh, no. There's all kinds of magical reasons not to not do that. Not to do thing. that. Like, not to do that. Not at all. No, just no. don't do it. You know, and so I'm telling him, don't do it. Don't do it. Whatever. You know, like, whatever they're asking you, like... <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Whatever they're offering you, you know, Pass. financially, double it, do it, triple it. They want your He's soul like, oh, no, and the no, sword. No. <laughs> he was like, "No, I, I, I declined. I wasn't going to do it anyway." You know, like I was wow. like, oh, "Good, good, good." But that was like that was the funniest one that I had heard. Uh, that was that was hilarious to me. So, so we um, hear about you making all these things and stories of you know crazy stuff that you've done. Um, I saw on your Instagram because you are on my Instagram all the time popping up because you make a lot of stuff and you post a lot of stuff mm-hmm. that's something that's mm-hmm. different you know like you post a lot 
So it's cool to kind mm-hmm. of follow you and what you're making, what you're doing and stuff. But I saw on there that you had made, I believe it was a dipnon for like one of the, the oldest running uh, temples, the Hakate. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Can you talk a little bit about that? I thought that was really, really cool. Like the whole story. I want to kind of dive a little bit more into that story at, as the short time mm-hmm. that we have, but. Yeah, I offered to I offered to to do it. You know, like uh Hecate's always been really uh, good to me and mm-hmm. um his temple is is you know, it's in one of the traditional uh this is that Hecate was the longest uh worshipped um and still is to this day. And so I was like that would be really cool. Like I I've made a lot of things for Hecate uh, devotional work for people. And um, it just seemed really special uh, to send something back uh, to the one of the origin places uh, of that that deity. And um, it just felt like a, the right thing to do, you know, to like donate to her temple and and to make sure that a piece of me and my work uh, was there um, out of just appreciation uh, for it. Um, that was like my offering uh, to Hecate. So. And it's still there being yeah. used, right? Yeah. That, yeah. that was really cool. Yeah. And the photos, they actually sent back photos to you, didn't they? Yeah, they did. They posted it on their private forum and, and things and, uh, that was cool. That was really yeah. cool. Um, that made me feel really good. And he, of course, was honored to to have a piece of my work and and to have it made and sent over here or from here to there. And yeah. uh, it was just a real special experience. Maybe if we get over there someday, right? We'll get to go see it and and stuff. But you know, it's it's neat. I thought that was cool that you know you have made. This is another question I want to ask. I'm going to jump to this. How many mm-hmm. magical items do you think that you have sold? Just a ballpark, <clears throat> because I know it's a lot. I've already kind of <laughs> looked into this, and it's just, it's I can't really look into it that much like you can, mm-hmm. but just a ballpark. Yeah, I mean, my Etsy sales are, I think, like 2700 or something like that, you know. But, I mean, that's just a sale, not an item. Right. Uh, so, like... Uh, it's probably in the 4,000 range, um, 4,000 objects. Uh, I think that I've probably, I may have, and I'm not trying to, I'm not saying this to like toot my own horn or brag or anything like that. I just think it's kind of a, a really a trippy thing to think about. But like, I think out of any magical mythological blacksmith throughout history, like I may have produced more magical focused items than any in in history um that's a heavy thought there man yeah i mean like i was talking with uh jason miller about that actually Mm -hmm. um last year i think about how when i did the math and just kind of thought about it i was like whoa holy crap right (laughs) i mean that's that's you had mentioned that like on your on your instagram page i'm like you know, if you think about it, man, the amount of time you've been doing it, and then like all your customers, because it's not like your sales aren't mm-hmm. invisible. Because if you go, if you look at, uh, right. you know, Troll Carney Ford's Instagram page and you look at the pictures, if you actually go into the comments, mm-hmm. it kind of gives you a story of sometimes the client is now responding, 
you know, mm-hmm. like, hey, my God, I just got this. This thing's freaking awesome. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and it, it's really cool to see the feedback uh, and, and see what people are using your items for. I mean, that's got to yeah. be cool when you sit back and you think about it like, I wonder what kind of shit's being done at night with my stuff, you know? <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, I mean, like, they're all they're all part of me in uh-huh. a sense because I created right. them. But, you know, it's like like they're my children or something like that, you know, like my homunculi that I send right. out into the world, you know. And be like, free, my uh, child. <laughs> yeah it's always always you know like a reminder like don't fuck me over right you know? if you're a customer of mine that has something that i made oh i remember that remember who was that? that somebody wanted to curse you or somebody who was that? that was some dumb person it was like so i think my my comment was so let me get this straight and it was just, i responded to the guy you want to yell and curse at a alchemical blacksmith sorcerer yeah, I think, I think that might have been the guy that asked me to make him a copper katana. It was something weird. It was something stupid and like off the wall. And he yeah. was just upset that you were like, no, that like he didn't realize you had the power to be like, no, nah, I'm I'm good, man. I'm I'm sorry. <laughs> For whatever the reason, yeah. either you're gonna kill yourself or maim people or. Or I just don't want to do that. You know, you have the right to say I no. Some, I get some weird ones every once in a while. There are some. There's some people that like. Uh, just very immature uh uh when it comes to the occult and have like really fantasy based ideas of things and it's very dramatic and um any anyone that puts them out themselves out into the world that are that's doing magic professionally in any way shape or form is going to attract those people it's just going to be emotionally unstable yeah yeah i mean i used to work in mental health for a living i was a counselor so like I mean, I've seen a lot of, of magical thinking in a psychotic yeah. level, but yeah, you're gonna you're oh, gonna yeah. you're gonna attract a lot of people that have very delusional and very odd mm-hmm. ideas of, of magic and the occult. I have quite and, a lot of uh, conversations with them. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I I have to establish pretty good boundaries right off the bat, uh, right. and I try to maintain that right off the bat, like with pretty much anybody that I do work with. Um, or produce things for or do custom work with and stuff but um yeah when you start getting a little cringy or mm-hmm. or mm, dramatic or yeah, over dramatic over yeah, assuming you know, like i know this yeah, yeah. I, i'll just kind of back off and you know sort of politely excuse myself from the table and and not take on the the thing but sometimes people get kind of insulting um and i'm just not i'm just gonna put it right back in your face right I mean, right I we have we have mike for that that's what we use yeah. mike for yeah. <laughs> we're like mike mike that guy right there Go, go. (laughs) Sometimes Mike's gotten really good about it because, like, when stuff happens, Mike will look at us first now, which is nice. It's like, you know what, what, Mike? Yes, Mike. Yes, you get this one. Go for it. Go. Because a lot of times we're like, Mike, Mike, we understand the situation, but from a PR perspective, you probably shouldn't have responded Mm -hmm. like that. But I would have done the same thing because it was a dumb question, man. He has changed so much. In the beginning, it was real rough. It's like, Mike, you can't say those things. It was very rough. Yeah. Very rough. Yeah. I'm very, I'm very uh, keen on the whole, uh, uh, 
I, I, you know, my Instagram and my social media stuff is my place of business in, in, in a virtual world, you know, so I, you know, I'll just kick you out, you know, like I have, I'll just block people right off the bat. I don't have a problem with it, you know, uh, I, I, I'm not going to engage um, and participate in your idiocy, you know, like I'll just like remove you from the situation. Yeah. Um, I mean, you threaten to curse me or whatever, you know, good luck, you know, <laughs> like, uh, you know, like. Okay. All right. Uh, but so, so it's the guy who won the It's Copper happened, Katana. you know, like it's happened. I've, you know, uh, I've offended people unintentionally um, by, I mean, the Copper Katana, dude. I yeah. Just, it's just, it's just, some stuff's kind of still just, it's so weeaboo, you know, like from the start, <laughs> you know, like, I mean, it's just like why you were. I was mastering the sword. Yeah. <laughs> like, I, just, I couldn't master the sword, the sword because of troll cutting forge wouldn't make it for me. There's a whole culture. <laughs> there's a whole culture of people that are very into, you know, blacksmithing and swords and knives yeah. and all kinds of stuff that are attracted for really toxic and immature reasons. And you have to deal with that sometimes too, um, and that's really frustrating. The worst is like when I first got started, and I was, you know, troll cutting forge, Scandinavian, Swedish, you know, folk magic. You know, like, you know, part of my heritage is is Swedish ancestrally, and I really have learned a lot uh, from Johannes Garsbeck on on uh, Scandinavian uh, trolldom and folk magic and. And so that was an inspiration for me. And when I first got started, started attracting uh, a lot of the white uh, nationalist uh, heathen crowd. Mm. Um, and I wasn't very aware at the time of just how many of those guys were out there and that they would actively try to recruit you and uh, kind of, you know, you to, to join their their cause as their blacksmith you know which was really weird to me um and so ah, getting followed by guys that are at like some backwoods you know like heathen skinhead event you know like and posting pictures of it you're like oh god oh wow. god wow <laughs> <laughs> ah, right away, cringe, block, block, cringe. Block, okay. block this guy. Block this shit out of business here, and you know, like you follow people, you know, that like you and follow you back. You know, it's like right. you're trying to establish your social media presence, and then you're just like, oh my god, oh god. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it, it's it, it gets so scary. Associated with these people. Yeah, they seem um, totally cool at first, and then it's just a slight turn, and you're like, whoa, mm-hmm. yeah. Whoa. That's what yeah, that blocks for. Then they, they use little dog whistle terms and things like that. You yeah. know, uh, try to test to see if you're down. Um, I have had to learn what those things are just to keep my nose out of that that crap. Yeah. You know. So imagine. Uh, that is a but whole I mean, other it's, topic. you know, like like I said, like the blacksmithing attracts that stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, and Scandinavian stuff attracts that crap. You know, so yeah. it's just. I mean, that's why I have it very clear on my Instagram page. You know, it's like no politics, no racism. I'm not gonna. Just, yeah, it's just not worth it. Point that out right, right off the bat. I'm not. I'm not with you clowns. You know. Yeah. Um, I know. I'm not in support of that crap. 
So we're gonna. It's been over an hour and a half now. Uh, <laughs> it's time to wrap it up. Is there is there anybody that you want to say hi to, or anybody you want to shout out to, Marcus? I want to say hi to any of my friends that are actually listening right now. I know everyone's super busy. Um, my beautiful partner Katamara, um, who's been working feverishly uh, uh, lately. <clears throat> for my benefit and hers mostly uh like she's she's doing the she does a lot of the work almost all of the work to to host the british gni symposium which is our herbal uh esoteric herbalism event that we do and that's coming up so um people should when's that coming up it's a pretty big event it's a big event and we used to do it in person and uh we've taken it online because of the uh uh, COVID. So, though hopefully that can change in the future soon. Um, it was at, at a, a sustainable forestry college, and so they had even their own rules um, about meetings and stuff like that federally that they had to adhere to. So, definitely it wasn't happening. Uh, but it's online now, I've taken online, and uh, it's happening in, I think, July. Um, you can go to the British GNI Symposium. Uh, Facebook page and Instagram and get all the dates and all the info. Okay. Right on. All right. Well, thank you very much, uh, Marcus McCoy. We appreciate you for joining us and sharing your knowledge. This was super informative. Thank and you. I learned more today about blacksmithing and alchemy, which is great. Yeah. So um, with that being said, James, you got anything to close out with? Marcus, gotta, thank you been a, a long Thanks time for, for to have you on here so it's really glad to have you on here really appreciate all your hard work that you do there Thank um you. hit up marcus uh what do i have to say as as usual please shop local find somebody to, to work with whatever you guys are looking for you, all you practitioners out there that's all i got brian uh thank you marcus for joining us it was a great show a lot of information um, thank you to all the fans as usual listening. We do this for you guys. Without you, you know, there'd be no point in this. Uh, to all the brothers out there, whithersoever dispersed, and as usual to each and every person out there trying to become a better version of yourself tomorrow than you are today. You're doing great. Keep it up. Right on. Renee, I want to say what's up to Renee from Sanctum Secretum. I want to say what's up to Eddie G from Pan America Lodge. Um, and all the brothers at Whittier, South Pass, NoHo, and uh, anywhere else, any other brothers around the world that you know listen and support us, thank you very much. That's all I got to say. Thanks for tuning in. However you're watching this, comment below and let us know what your favorite part of the show was. For questions regarding the show, content ideas, booking inquiries, or just simply just to say hello, visit the contact page at keepersoftheword.net. That's it for today. Over and out.